0: Welcome to the Braddonville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We're located at 285 Church Street in Braddonville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., with worship to follow at 11 a.m. Wednesday night Bible studies is at 7 p.m. Now, please enjoy our lesson. Uh, we've been studying for the past year, uh, since the beginning of this year, the red letters of Jesus. And the purpose of us studying the red letters Are so that we can know Jesus better That we can obey him better And that we can love him even more And I'll just tell you this I hope that you all have grown in your love for Jesus In the study of our red letters I know I have Because when we, when we get to the heart of a person Jesus even tells us that, that the words that we speak Are an outpouring of our heart Right? They're a reflection of what's in our hearts Whether it be good or evil and so when we're studying the red letters of Jesus, we're getting to the heart of Jesus. And we're understanding who he is and what motivates him and why he, why he says what he says. And so that's what we've been doing over this last year. William Redforce from Matthew chapter 16, a very, a very important um, section of red letters for Christians throughout time. And uh, there's a lot of different lessons that we could draw out of that, but I want to I want to focus today and and over the next couple weeks about the church. What is the church? When somebody says church, what do you think of? What comes to mind? What what concepts, what ideas? What does the word church mean? And why is it important? That's something that I want us to wrestle with and and I want us to think about in context of the of what Jesus said about the church. You know, Jesus only uses the word church twice. And some people take that to mean that the church wasn't important to Jesus. We're gonna to see today that that's not true. But in, in speaking about the church, Jesus makes some statements that is really important that we understand, that we wrap our minds around. Because in, in, the, in the religious world as a whole, there's some misconceptions about the church. And about God's view of the church and the purpose of the church and and why it even exists. And we want to be we want to be crystal clear on that. More importantly, we want to have our feet firmly planted in the Word of God when it comes to the church. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk a little bit about next week, and and maybe even depending on what we accomplish next week, we may get into it in a third week. We'll see about that. But first, in order for us to to really set the the uh, the context of this lesson, we got to. Think about what does the word church mean? If you if you look up the word church in which, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, you know what the very first definition is? A building for worship. And that's what most people think about. We're going to, the, we're going to church, right? We think about going to the building. But we know from uh, just even a cursory reading of the Bible that the church is not the building. And so we sing the song. I see you doing it back there, right? Uh, this is the church, and this is the steeple, open doors, and there's all the people. That's actually the church right there. When we sing that song, that's who the church is. The church is the people. Uh, the word church actually comes from the, uh, the German word Kirch, which is a, a contraction of the Greek term. Kiri- I want to say this wrong, so I got to look at it here. Uh, Kyriakon doma, which means the Lord's house, and it was contracted over time down to the word church, the uh, the idea then is that the, the 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 church is the Lord's house. Well, that might also imply somebody might think, well, that means the building, right? But we again know from the scriptures that the Lord's house is us, right? We are the the house of God. So, the Greek word that's actually used in the scriptures that is most often translated church is actually the word. Ecclesia, or it could be pronounced ecclesia. sometimes you hear it Ekklesia, sometimes it's ecclesia, but it, it means the called out. And that's interesting too, because the, that word, prior to it being used in reference to the, the body of Christ, it was used as a term for the men of a city-state in Greece. Uh, the Greeks uh, set up their governments in city-states, and so you had Sparta that was their own state and and their own their own uh, government and athens had their own government corinth and when they would have a a meeting of the the people the men were called out they were the ecclesia they were called to come to the meeting and so they would tend to the business of the of the city you see this word actually used in acts chapter 19 when paul's in ephesus and you remember that there's an uprising over the, the, uh, the idea that Paul is, is defaming or, or trying to, to destroy the temple to Diana or Artemis there. And so the silversmiths and the goldsmiths, all these people who made all these images, they call together the people and they come together into the marketplace there, into the gathering place, and the, there's, the, there's a, a questioning of why they're there, and they said, this is not a lawful assembly. If we were translating it consistently that what they would said, this is not a lawful church, because the ecclesia there was the gathering of the people there for the business of the of the city. But in reference to the body of Christ, Ecclesia was used to describe those who were called out. Now that could take several different references, right? You think about the fact that we're here today. where Where were we called out of? We came out of our homes to gather together. worship God and so from a very physical standpoint we are called out because we are gathered here together from a very spiritual standpoint we've been called out of the world right to be separate from the world and so that has a spiritual reference as well but the the term there ecclesia, as I mentioned has both um, a universal and a local connotation when you read through the scriptures there's times when it's used to refer to the local church. So that's why we would call ourselves the Bradleyville Church, right? We're a local congregation. And when you read books such as the book uh, to, that Paul wrote to the Romans or he wrote to the Corinthians, he wrote it to the church which is in Corinth. That's a local assembly of Christians. There's a local assembly of Christians in Rome. And today there's a local assembly of Christians in Sparta and, and in Oldfield and in Uh, Forsyth and in Ava, and there's a a sense in which the term church is referring to a local assembly of Christians. But there's also a sense, when you read through the scriptures, of the universal church, or the church uh, on a worldwide basis. And so when we read about that Christ died for the church, it's not talking about a local congregation, it's talking about the universal body, and both of those have have uh, um, um, a meaning in the context in which they are written. But as I said before, Jesus only uses the term ecclesia two times. The first time is over, uh, actually not the first time, the second time is in Matthew chapter 18. And that's probably going to be our third lesson when when we talk about that passage. But it's in the context of discipline. How you are, if a brother sins against you and he won't repent and he won't hear uh, you take witnesses and he won't hear them you're to take it before the church you take it before the assembly we'll talk about that in a future lesson but the one i want to focus on today is in matthew chapter 16. so if you've got your bibles there and they're not open to matthew 16 i want to encourage you to open up to matthew 16. we're going to be there i've got a bunch of other passages written down here that i'm going to go over and reference but if you want to just kind of keep your finger in Matthew 16, that's where the bulk of our lesson is going to come from. Because that's where the red letters are that I would like for us to think about in reference to the church. Why does it exist? What is it? Where is it? And, and what does it mean to us today? What does this statement that Jesus makes mean to us today? Just to kind of get the context here, let's remember what, what William read for us. Jesus and his apostles, his disciples here, are traveling in the region of Caesarea Philippi. So they're up kind of, if you think about where Jerusalem, if you put Jerusalem in your, in your, in your head, think kind of north and west is, is, is where they're at. They're, they're up in the northern regions of what would be uh, in the region of Galilee, actually. And they're, as they're traveling along the road, Jesus asks the question, Who do men say that I am? I, the son of man, am. You know, there's a lot of polling going on right now, this, this climate that we're in, this this uh, election cycle that we're in, there's a lot of polling going on. And people are asking, you oh, know, what, what's your opinion on this or that? Um, this is not necessarily a poll that Jesus is putting out here, but he's he's challenging the, the apostles to think about his identity by first asking them the question, what's the word on the street? And we could make a lesson out of this this, this one section, right? He says, who do, I, who do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they, they offer up all kinds of ideas. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're Isaiah. Some say you're Elijah. The one that's most interesting to me, some say you're John the Baptist. John and Jesus were contemporaries. I don't quite get that one. But they, some people were saying that Jesus was, uh, was John the Baptist. Um, that's what the world says about Jesus. The world says a lot of things about Jesus. They sometimes sincerely do this, but they misrepresent Jesus. A lot of times the world misrepresents Jesus, and sometimes they misrepresent Jesus intentionally. They make Jesus into something that he's not in order to to distract people from Jesus or to fool people or to, to degrade Jesus. But then Jesus asks, the more important question. This is a question that's pointed to the hearts of every individual. Who do you say that I am? And I almost want to dive off into that lesson right now. <laughs> that's not the point. That's not that's not but that's a question we need to ask ourselves. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he a, a good moral teacher? Is he a is he a wise prophet? Or is he, as Peter said, is he the Christ? Is he the anointed, holy priest, king, savior, redeemer that he came to be? Is he the Christ, the son of the living God? That's what each one of us has to wrestle with. Jesus would take that statement and he would, he would, he would issue a blessing towards Peter. He said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. And then he's going to go on and he's going to give us uh, the answers that we're looking for in relation to the church. And I've got these phrases broken out here to show that Jesus, what Jesus is going to reveal to us about the church. Why the church is important. Why it was important to Jesus and why it should be important to me why it even exists, and, and where is it going? What's, the, what's the, 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 the trajectory of the church, and what's our role in it? That's what I want us to think about today and next week and even the following week. And he begins by um, making this statement in verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now the first phrase we've got broken out here is, I say that you're Peter and on this rock. You know there's been a lot of misunderstandings of this passage. Throughout the centuries, throughout millennia, people have misunderstood this. And there are religious organizations that are founded on the idea that Peter is the rock upon which Jesus was going to build the church. It takes a, a very little understanding of Greek grammar to understand that that's not correct. The word petros there, which is translated Peter, means a, a, a small stone. But the rock upon which Jesus is going to build the church, the petra there, the feminine form of the word, is a ledge stone. It's a big rock. Uh, think about this. When you remember when Jesus was telling the story, or was, was given the, the, at the end of his sermon on the mount, when he said, uh, those who hear these sayings of mine and do them, I will liken them to a wise man that built his house upon a petros, Right? upon a little, little stone. Is that what Jesus said? He said, they build their house upon the rock, the ledge rock, the, the, the foundational rock. That's what Jesus is referencing here is a rock that's distinguished from the physical. It's a rock that has foundational principles to it. What would be those foundational principles? What would be those, those, those truths that could be the foundation for the church? And you know sir he's distinguishing between Peter himself and what Peter said. What did Peter just said? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That confession, that spiritual truth that Peter had witnessed didn't come from Peter. He said, "God has revealed this to you. God has made this clearly known to you." And that truth is going to be the rock upon which the church is going to be built. Again, you think about what Jesus said. He who hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man. What, what's your life going to be built on? What's the church going to be built on? It's going to be built on the truths of Jesus, and in particular, the truth that Jesus is the Christ. That he came to this world, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians that no other foundation can be laid upon that which, but that which is laid, Christ Christ. And Jesus, his identity and his purpose are going to be the foundation upon which he's going to build his church. The church is founded on Jesus. That's the first thing that we have to understand about the church is it's based on, it's built upon, its, it's structural integrity is, is determined by the foundation which is Christ. If, if we were to go about building a church and we were to found it on anything else, First off, we're going to be wrong because we're building it right. But second off, we're going to, if we're going to found it on anything else, we're going to be wrong. The first thing we understand about the church is that it's built on Jesus, and we also understand from this passage that it's built by Jesus. Notice what he says there. Now, on this rock, I will build. The church was not built by; it was not con- contrived by. It wasn't invented by or created by a man. It wasn't instituted by a man. It wasn't convened by men. men. And so when we think about the the fact that Christ is involved in the building, we think about the the power that's behind that then. Anybody ever built anything before? And you know what goes into it, right? You know the, 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 the effort that goes into it. You know the, the, the resources and the time and the energy that goes into it. And it means then that you understand the importance of it. Jesus says, I will build the church. Now, what, what, does, that, what does that mean then? It means he didn't delegate it to anybody else. You know, whenever, whenever Susan and I built our first house, we built it pretty much ourselves. We hired a, a framer to come in, and we hired somebody to come in and do the sheet rock, and we had somebody lay the carpet because those things that we weren't good at. But we pretty much did, well, we had a guy put the roof on too, I guess. But we pretty much did everything else, and we, we knew what went into that. This last house we built, you know what we did? I don't think I drove a single nail on that house. I didn't want to put the, the time and the effort into it. but when I built the other house I knew what went into it I knew the cost that was associated with it not just the cost of money but the cost of time and effort and resources and the sweat that went into it and so Jesus in building the church he knew how it would be put together he knew it was how, how it was going to be built and he knew the important essence of it we're going to talk about this more next week when we ask the question if you were going to build a house how would you build it But Jesus knew the elements of it. And so he knew how to put pieces into it. Have you ever thought about this? Turn over real quickly with me. Just hold your finger in Matthew. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. I don't know that we've ever read this passage in the idea of Jesus building his church. But I want you to think about this. And we're going to come back to Acts chapter 2. So you can leave a, another finger there. We won't spend a lot of time there. But in Acts chapter two, we see the first gospel message being preached, and we see people responding to that gospel message. They're obeying the gospel. They're being saved. And notice what verse um, <clears throat> notice what verse forty one says. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about three thousand souls were added. And you notice to them as in I. Is in italics, right, in most of your Bibles, which means it's not in the Greek. It was added by the translator to help add some context. We're added to what? Well, added to them. Well, what's, what's that have reference to? Go down to verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added. Now, this is the, this is the same type of phrase here. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You know, a lot of times we, we when we visit with people about obeying the gospel, we talk about the fact that it's not man that adds you to the church. It's the Lord that adds you to the church. You know why that's important? Because Jesus builds the church. And he just doesn't throw two-by-fours anywhere. He doesn't just haphazardly build the church. He puts people into the church in a way that is according to his plan. And so whenever 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 I came to an understanding of the necessity to be saved and I obey the gospel the verse tells me the Lord added me to the church he was in the process of building he, he, he founded it on the rock he began to build and he put me in there in the right spot I like that having built the house before I like the fact that walls are put in the right spot and doors are put in the right spot and the ceiling's put in the right spot. You ever been in a house where the ceiling wasn't in the right spot? <laughs> it's very uncomfortable. Jesus knows where to put people. First Peter chapter 2 Paul, uh, Peter writes this, Paul. The book's called Peter. Peter wrote the book. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. He's talking about you, Christian. He said you were chosen by God and precious. And you weren't just thrown haphazardly into the house of God. Listen to what he says. You as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And I'm going to skip down through there. Verse seven. Therefore, you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, and he goes on saying, "The builder, the stone which the builder has rejected, has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who were not a people, but are now the people of God." Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. As God, as Jesus builds his house, he's putting people into it. And he doesn't do it haphazardly. Now, the next phrase that we want to notice is Jesus says, I will build my church. What's the purest form of ownership? You know, if you own something, that means you've, you've either purchased it for somebody or you have what? Built it yourself. And that's the purest form of ownership, isn't it? Because if I, if I buy something, from, if I buy a car from Joe, we've got to exchange the title. We've got to do some type of process to make it mine. But when I build it, I'm building a table right now for our kitchen. You know what? There's no, t- there's no title to that table. I own the table. And if you come over to my house and you walk off with the table, that's called Stealing. Because it's mine. And you go back all the way to the beginning. God created this world. What's the purest form of ownership? Creation. God owns everything that exists. Anything we can touch and smell and taste and understand, God owns. And by that same context then, who owns the church? Jesus. That's why he calls it my church. I will build my church You know, mankind has wrestled with that throughout the ages. We've tried to give ownership to a lot of different people. When it is truly Jesus' church, He's the one that built it. He's the one that founded it. He's the one that laid the foundation for it. He's the one that died for it. And so we understand then that the church belongs to Jesus Acts chapter 20, verse 28, as Paul is visiting with the Ephesian elders, they've come over to Miletus. This is the last time Paul's going to see these Ephesian elders, probably. And he's he's encouraging them. And he's telling them, he says, here's something I want you to do, elders. I want you to take heed to the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd it, the church of God, which he... Purchased with his own blood. Not only did Jesus build the church, but he bought it. Bought it with what? Bought it with his blood. That's why the church belongs to Jesus. That's why when we, when we speak about the church, we speak about it in the context of ownership the church belongs to Christ And so is therefore the church of Christ It doesn't belong to the Christians It doesn't belong to the, to, the, to the people It belongs to Jesus You go to Ephesians chapter 5 And Paul's giving instructions to husbands He says husbands love your wives As Christ loved the church And gave himself for her That he might sanctify and cleanse her You know what Jesus does for the church? He makes us more beautiful He makes us look better. You looked in the mirror this morning and you didn't like what you see. Jesus has the ability to make us look better. He's not going to fix our faces, but he's going to fix our spirits. He's going to fix us so that we can be better looking to God. How do he do that? Through his blood. The reason why Jesus could say he was going to build his church was because he was going to pay the price for it when he went to the cross. He was going to sanctify it and cleanse it and wash it and make it his holy bride. And so now that we're married to Jesus, we wear his name. Individually, we wear his name Christians, right? As the body of Christ, we wear the name that he gave to us. We're Christ's church. It's also called the church of God, right? We saw that in Acts chapter 20 when Paul told those Ephesian elders that you are a shepherd, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That's God the Son, right? And so we belong to Jesus. The church belongs to Jesus. And it's also important to see here that the church, because of that, is part of God's plan from the beginning. There's, there's, a, there's a, a common misconception in the religious world that the church is an afterthought of God. That Jesus came with the intention of, of establishing an earthly kingdom, and the Jews rejected him. And so the, the church was a plan B. I've heard people refer to it as an audible at the line of scrimmage. You ever heard anybody say that before? The church was God's audible at the line of scrimmage. When Jesus went to the cross, God had to call an audible. I say this with love and compassion, but the Bible says it. That's baloney. Look at Ephesians chapter, Ephesians chapter 3. Jesus didn't accidentally build a church. He didn't build it as a, as a an afterthought or a mistake because he wanted to build a kingdom. Ephesians chapter 3. <clears throat> Actually, let's go back to Ephesians 1 first. Um, if you really want to... <laughs> sorry, Joe. If you really want to get a good understanding of the church... A sister passage to Matthew chapter 16 is the book of Ephesians because it talks a lot about the church. But listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 22. And he, that's God the Father, has put all things under his, that's God the Son. God the Father has put all things under God the Son's feet, and he gave Jesus, him, to be the head over all things to the church. Why is Jesus the head of the church? Because he built it. Because he bought it. It's his. It's his. He gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we understand here that the church is the body of Christ. So when you read in the scriptures about the body of Christ, you're reading about the church. Nobody can be a part of the body without being a part of the church. And you can't be a part of the church without being a part of the body. Those two are interchangeable with each other. Now go to Ephesians chapter 3. And see here that it's not, a, it's not an afterthought. Verse 10... To the intent, uh, let's go back to verse eight. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the who. By the church. The manifold wisdom of God may be known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what was part of the eternal purpose of God? You know what was God's plan before the foundation of the world? The church. It was God's plan that Jesus built the church from the beginning. I love that. You know what that means? That means that you and I were in God's thoughts. They were in. We were in God's plan before He even made the world. That's awesome to think about. So we've talked about the fact that Jesus built the church, that He owns the church. Um, he also says there that the gates of Hades shall not prevail of it, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And so we understand then that it. it it's not going to be overthrown by the, by the likes of mankind, but it's also not going to be overthrown by the likes of Satan. Death and Hades have no authority over the church. Jesus demonstrates that when he rises from the grave, right? He shows his power over Hades, and he also makes a statement to all those who believe in him that they're going to rise from the grave as well. And so uh, from, a, from a spiritual perspective, the church is always going to have, uh, have power, but even from a even from a physical perspective, even from an existence perspective, there's there's been times when people have looked at history and said, "Well, the church the church went out of existence in that time." I don't believe that. Just because historians didn't write about it, doesn't mean that it didn't exist. Jesus says that Hades that nothing will prevail against it, and so we see here. Um, the enduring church, the fact that it endures on and it will continue to endure until Christ comes again. Verse eight, uh, 19 says, that uh, Jesus says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He's talking to Peter here. Notice how he uses the, the phrase kingdom of heaven and church interchangeably here. And that's another misconception sometimes that we have is that the kingdom is something that we will inherit in the future, but we're part of the church right now. You know, Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 that we have been translated out of the power of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son of His love or into this kingdom of His dear Son. And so, in essence, the kingdom and the church are integral with each other. Now there are aspects of the kingdom of heaven that we can enjoy until we, we can't fully enjoy until we get to heaven itself. But we need to understand that we're part of the kingdom if we're part of the church. He also says here that he's going to give some authority to Peter in the opening of the doors of the kingdom. He says, "I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom." What does that mean? Keys always represent the authority to enter or leave, right? I'm going to give you the authority to bring people into the kingdom, to open the doors. And when do we see that happen? Acts chapter 2. Peter and the apostles, they stand up and they preach that first gospel message. And about 3,000 souls are added to the church. The Jews come into the church. You know, it takes about 10 years for the Gentiles to have the gospel preached to them. If you look at the book of Acts, and you look at the time period in which the history of Acts was written. It's about a year's time period for each chapter. Now, it's not exactly a year because you see some events slammed right up against each other. But it's about 10 years before Peter has that vision on the top of Simon the Tanner's house where God lets down the sheet and it's got all kinds of animals in it. And God says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, nah, nothing unclean's ever touched my lips. And God says, what I've called holy, you don't call unclean. And immediately those men from Cornelius' house show up. And Peter goes with them. And he preaches the gospel to them. And the Gentiles are admitted into the kingdom. And from that time forward, the kingdom, the church, is a church for all mankind. If there was any point in time when the church would be divided by sects, or by groups, or by race, or by nationality, or by financial status... It would have been right then, don't you think? And it wasn't. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. We're all the same in Christ Jesus. That's the church that Jesus built. And we also see, as I'll note there, that the church church whose doors were opened by Peter and the church is integral to the king. I just kind of slammed those last two notes together because we're running out of time. I love the church. I hope you do too. I love it because it represents the efforts of our Savior in giving us a place where we can belong. God wants, He wants everybody to be a part of the church. We've we've talked about this in past lessons that Jesus has said that there are few who are going to find the narrow path. That's a reality of life. Because people will choose to reject Jesus. They will choose to reject the gospel. They will choose to reject the church. But there's something beautiful about us being here this morning. Worshipping God together in the beauty of holiness. Because it's not the building. It's the people. Jesus came and He died for you. And He died for me. And He built... A spiritual house that we can be a part of. And when we obey the gospel, He puts us in the right place. And He wants us to thrive in it. And He wants us to prosper in it. And He wants us to grow in it. And He wants us to encourage other people in it. And He wants us to help Him grow the church. Are you a part of the church that Jesus bought with His blood? Are you part of of that church that Jesus came to build and that He did build? He told his apostles before they went into heaven, he said, I want you to go and I want you to preach this message to the world. I want you to preach the necessity of the death and burial and the resurrection. He says in Luke chapter 24, verses 46, he says, Thus it is written, thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins be preached in his name to all nations, including Bradleyville in 2020. He didn't add that last part in there. But that was the intention, right? He wanted the gospel to go to all mankind. He told them in Mark chapter 16, he says, You take that gospel, you preach it to all creatures. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Have you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you, do you believe with all your heart that Jesus came and he died for your sins? Are you willing to confess that faith before mankind? Are you willing to recognize the sin in your life and say, you know what, I don't want to live that way anymore. I can tell you what, repentance is one of the most bitter pills that you can swallow. The first taste of repentance is the most bitter, but it only gets sweeter as time goes on. As you you turn from sin and you turn to God, it's only going to get sweeter. I promise you that. Have you been baptized for the remission of your sins? That's what Peter and those apostles preached on that day. Why did they do that? Because Jesus told them to preach remission of sins, and he also told them that those who believed and were baptized would be saved. And so when Peter stood up on that day, and he preached the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, and those people that heard that message cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's why Peter said what he said, because Jesus told him to say it. Repent, turn away from your sins, and let every one of you, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ by the authority of Jesus for the remission of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit this promise is to you and to your children and all who are far off as many as the Lord our God shall call even in Bradleyville in 2020 and with many other words he exhorted them saying be saved from this perverse generation and those who heard his words gladly you know what they did? They obeyed the gospel. The Bible says they were baptized. Have you done that? If you haven't, I want to encourage you today to do that. If you have obeyed the gospel and you've let sin creep back into your life, you can be restored. You can come back. And maybe you have obeyed the gospel, and maybe you've been faithful to Jesus, but you just don't have a church home. We'd love to have you here with us. We'd love to have you encourage us and strengthen us, and we want to encourage and edify you and help you grow. We want to be people who are zealous for good works and lovers of Jesus and of each other. And if we can encourage you with that, we do it. we're going to sing an invitation song. And this is a time to, to make your needs known. It's time if you feel comfortable coming to the front. If you'd like to obey the gospel, we can do that. We can help you with that. If you have a prayer request, we can make that known. Some people don't feel comfortable with that, though. If you don't, come talk to me. Don't leave here today... With a spiritual need unmet Don't leave her today Apart from the body of Christ There's no reason why you shouldn't We're going to sing this invitation song And uh, if you have a need Please make it known As we stand and sing Thank you for joining us For another lesson from God's Word For more information About our church family Please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page We hope to see you soon Till then Let your light so shine before men That they may see your good works And glorify your Father in heaven We hope you have a good day.